Welcome back to Mari's Music. My name's Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have a lot to talk about. No strings attached today, Spoon. How you doing? I'm doing very well, and you know, I'm kind of in a stringy mood. Um, I kind of feel like maybe <laughs> talking about strings. That's the best you could do? Stringy mood? <laughs> <laughs> stringy mood. You remember him? He used to play bass for, uh, what was that? Uh, Martin Moore. <laughs> We have a lot of people talking to us during the week, and they ask us questions. Oh, I don't know. Questions like, how do I change my strings? How often should I change my strings? Will you change my strings? <laughs> strings are, I'm serious, strings are such a big part of the guitar's tone. And I don't want to get into the end of the program before I get into the beginning, but uh, some people don't even admit that. But what I want to talk to you about today is hopefully get a good conversation going. We can talk about the reason you would change strings, which ones you would use, how often you should do it. And let's try to get a good conversation on record where people who want to know more about what to do with guitar strings can walk away from this program having a little bit better of an idea exactly what is proper, maybe some common misconceptions. And I should begin asking you, if I were to tell you we have a guitar in stock, and I'll tell you lots of the specs, would you ever ask me what strings are on it? Um, I wouldn't because I um, already know for the most part what they come with, and though I guess that would be up to you as to what you put on them. But um, I also want to just comment about your opening remarks. I think um, I think there's a very good topic for our listeners who uh, listen to this on YouTube and that have the ability to comment. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, read your comments about your own opinions about strings and the strings you prefer and why you prefer them. And throughout this uh, podcast, commenting on the various uh, sections that we're going to be talking about. And full disclaimer up front, the ideas and opinions of Spoon Phillips and Maury Rich are just that. We're not going to tell you what you should do, except for one hard truth. I'm not going to name names, Spoon, but we have a friend from the UMGF who used to come to Martinfest every year because, quote unquote, get ready for this. She would come to NASFest every year to change her strings every year. <laughs> but I'm not sure how much. <laughs> that is wrong. Everything else about today's show is opinion, but that is wrong. We should give a shout out to our friend Hippie Hall at Blues Creek Guitars because every year at Martinfest, he and his assistants uh, do free string changes with free Martin strings every year at Martinfest. So our friend who only changed her strings once a year, it might also have been her frugal nature that she could get free strings once a year. But uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'll have to talk to you about that. I'm not sure who we're talking about because I didn't know somebody actually did that. I think that's pretty funny. Well, I know that you do know who I mean, and we'll talk about her later. And, and I'm, of course, I'm, I'm kidding about it. doesn't matter who that is, but... What I want to get across as far as my opinion here at the beginning of the show, if you're going to spend money on a Martin guitar or any guitar, and you're going to spend money on sounding good, and you're going to spend money, when it comes to strings, please don't think you can get 364 more days out of that set. I don't care how often you don't play. I don't care how clean your hands are. It's, it's something we're going to dive into more deeply as the program goes on. But changing your strings, the exact strings that you choose... And how often you do it can make such a difference. Maybe we'll start there, Spoon, if you don't mind. How often do you normally change strings? And be descriptive if it depends on certain things. 
I'd like to remind our audience that the opinions of Mari Rutsch are exactly that and should be misconstrued as uh, <laughs> orders. Um, um, well, it's, it depends. Back when I was performing all the time and practicing all the time, I would change my strings about every two weeks, um, sometimes once a week. Though I actually, uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, this kind of jumping ahead. I don't necessarily like the sound of brand new strings. Some people absolutely love the sound of brand new strings. I actually like them with about a week in and really lose a little bit of that initial super bright and happy vibrancy. And uh, now that I don't play as often as I used to, I don't change them nearly as often as I once did. And I tend to uh, do it by ear. Um, I think uh, there's something to be said for the way strings can mellow the tone of strings. Though I do believe we get complacent and we forget how much better the music and the guitar itself are going to sound once we do change the strings when we've waited too long and we get used to the sound of the dull dead strings. And of course, I'm a Martin player. Uh, Martins have a particular kind of sound and a lot of guitars that are inspired by Martins and made in Martin's image, uh, sometimes literally, have a particular sound. There are other kinds of guitars out there. I would say uh, the, one of them is the Gibson sound. The Gibson sound is uh, known for having less sustain and a more quick, quick uh, acceleration out the sound hole, but a very quick drop off in terms of sustain. As one friend put it, uh, the classic Gibson sound has decay forever. And um, that's a different <laughs> kind of sound. And they immediately already start uh, with a kind of a thumpier, thuddier sound in the bass, like a J45 or J200. And so the, I think that sound, to me, it already sounds like, even with new strings, it sounds like the strings are kind of dead. So maybe, and this is my opinion and the way my ears hear it, those kind of guitars probably sound better with new strings and sound less good with older strings than maybe uh, something made in the Martin style. I'm, I'll be very curious to hear uh, or read uh, listeners' opinions about that statement, which I should remind our listeners is entirely my opinion and not to be considered um, uh, gospel. It is kind of funny. We're only a couple minutes in, and it does feel like this whole podcast episode is completely ripe with minefields and trapdoors. <laughs> and and I maybe this is going to be one of those episodes that really brings you know a million and one opinions from our readers and our listeners. And it's speaking of what you just mentioned, a good friend of ours and an incredibly talented, completely professional performer, Howard Emerson. I've quoted him more than a few times, and I think he, I know he made this comment on one of his earlier albums, and I don't know if he says it all the time, but he recorded his album with dying strings because he cannot stand that brand new <laughs> zing. And, you know, boy, I, I would quite honestly, if we do another episode sometime, name some of your favorite acoustic albums and their tones, I would put him on it. So I need to really wise up and recognize that what I believe as a player, listening to my own guitars under my ear and through my PA systems, I might be caught in a blind test liking sounds that I'm telling you not to go for. So let's remember that. And jokes aside, there are so many different ways to look at guitar strings and, and the life expectancy of them. But you know, if, if Spoon were to ask me how often I change my strings, I would say a similar answer when I'm playing all the time, which is going back maybe three years before the big, you know, the pandemic. And I was probably putting my guitar through, I don't know, say five or six gigs a month. 
I wouldn't get through the whole month without changing strings, but I would probably change my strings. If I was really on top of things, I would change them every other week. And I would probably say three gigs and then my strings aren't dead, but they're no longer lively. They're no longer full of the top end harmonics that I like a new string set to sound like. So I would change them. I mean, quite honestly, because I can, I'm in a guitar store with tons of strings and I don't ever have to go looking for them. I never have to pay the wrong price for them. And it's something that's just so easily accessible to me. I have to answer mine with an asterisk because I have a guitar store and I'm basically looking at my guitars all week anyway. If you're really busy at work, you didn't buy enough extra guitar strings for the next time you're gonna need them, and you don't wanna break open that last emergency set, that player might look at it a little bit differently and say, nope, I'm gonna do these two other gigs, and then I'll do the whole thing, restring my guitars next month. That certainly comes into play. But as a semi-professional player, I'd like to change my strings at least every other week. And it's, uh, we didn't talk about it yet, but chemistry comes into play as well. The, one of the guitar players I play with all the time, Tim Perry, just has a very volatile chemistry in his left hand or his hands. And when he plays an instrument at, we might start playing eight o'clock at night. Before that gig is at halftime, we're going to take a break and, and play another hour. He's already complaining his don't sound lively anymore. That's not anything but bad luck. And I don't know if you know anybody like that, Spoon, but you know Tim. Well, yeah, I remember very clearly... Uh... Uh, Tim getting a lot of ribbing at a, a Martin Fest long ago for that very thing of his toxic hands. And it's, it is a body chemistry thing. And it just, uh, his perspiration just got, is uh, corrosive uh, compared to the, the average bear. Since you're name dropping, I'm going to uh, give another shout out to Howard Emerson. Howie is famous for not liking overtones. And like you said, and liking, you know, that dollar sound that he's a He's got a Gibson ear, and even he's got a beautiful guitar that John Monteleone made him, uh, completed recently, a flat top, maple flat top that's uh, absolutely glorious. And similar to other guitars that Howie owns, he actually glues a, a strip of felt under the strings just on the other side of the nut on the headstock because he says he can hear overtones coming off of that area that he doesn't like. And just like his old uh, Martin OM uh, 18V, same thing. And so, you know, uh, it is a very much a personal thing. And to name drop further, Lawrence Juber, he would say uh, for years and years and years and years, he said that uh, on his Telecaster, he just uh, leaves the strings on until they fall off. But <laughs> on his acoustic guitars, he changes them every day. Every show, he would change his strings before every show. Wow. Um, and that's a lot of strings. Uh, fortunately, he's the kind of guy that got, got you know, endorsement deals with brand, and then he became a Martin en endorser. And, but that changed his whole thing because now he uses the kind of string that he feels doesn't require changing every day. And so we'll get back to that when we start talking about the different kinds of strings. So remind me to go back to uh, what LJ's uh, choice of strings are right now. So um, that's one thing we'd love to see uh, people comment, those who are listening on a platform where you can comment, of what kind of, uh, how often do you change your strings? And why is that? Is it more like me where I don't like the new string sound, so I feel the sweet spot, is it about two weeks old? And, um, but that's also the kind of strings I play, which we'll get into later. In fact, we might as well mention it now. So the trivia question for this week, because some of you may actually know this from other media outlets, is what is Teaspoon Phillips 
preferred acoustic guitar string. So we will get to that later on as well. So some people change their strings very often. Some people uh, can't afford to change their strings very often, but would if they could afford it. Um, other people uh, have so many guitars that they um, have to be more judicious in just how often they're changing their strings because they have to be able to afford lots and lots of strings. Fortunately, if you have a particular favorite string, you usually can buy them, you know, in relatively large uh, bulk uh, packaging that, that will give you some sort of discount. And of course, there's a zillion different varieties of strings. So in terms of brands, so maybe that's so we can briefly talk about brands before we get into talking about the different types. So um, Mari, you actually have a guitar store that sells guitar strings. What would you say is your top two or three brands of uh, guitar strings that sell through your website? I'll go you one better and I'll tell you the top four because right now we carry four. <laughs> I'll just name them all. <laughs> We're, we do very well with the Martin strings. We also sell Diodario, DR, and Elixir. And let me just say five. We also sell John Pierce. So Diodario, DR, Elixir, John Pierce, and Martin guitar strings. And at the current taping of this episode, we only sell acoustic strings. Uh, so that might be something I should just throw out now before we talk about, you know, which, what you can buy and what we have on sale, what we have in stock. It's just acoustic oriented. And we talked a little bit off camera just before we started rolling the podcast about what's more popular here. And I think it's worth noting, as fortunate as we are to sell so many Martin guitars and Blue Ridge guitars, and we do a really, really big business with both of those brands, we never really did catch on or get a lot of traction selling guitar strings. I'm not sure why. You know, our prices are competitive and we, we offer free shipping over 99. So I'm not sure I can really dive into why that happens. But when you take a look at, do we sell more DR strings than we do John Pierce or more Elixir? The truth of it is, to date, we probably sell 33% of each Diodario, Elixir, and Martin. There are our three top brands and it's probably neck and neck the whole time. If we do an occasional sale, that one brand will get a little bit more popular for us temporarily. We don't do a lot of John Pierce, and I think we're probably going to start talking about discontinuing DR. Uh, when I say that, it's only because they don't seem to be a popular brand on our website, and it's not a dig at that brand at all. They're very nice people. We just don't do well selling them. But I think if you came to our store looking for Diodario, Elixir, or Martin, uh, we could have a very quick conversation about what you want to get out of it, but I would really say they're the big three for us. I would have to assume or almost suspect they might be three of the biggest acoustic brands at any guitar store, but they're the ones we really do well with. It's just that in general, we don't sell many strings at all. And you know, there are, there are those kind of brands. There's also very uh, boutique brands. There's brands from foreign countries that are available for sale and and as everybody knows, the, uh, the acoustic guitar experience, uh, you can have people who, uh, who are professional musicians that can't even tell you which model of their guitar it is. And there's other ones that know the entire history of the brand that they're playing. And the same thing goes with strings. There's some people who try all kinds of strings or constantly trying different strings. They like the, var the variations. Um, they like to find it's, you know, some of them are on a quest to find that 
perfect string for that particular guitar in those tone woods. Others just like the change in variety. And others uh, play, have been playing the exact same brand and model, if they call them models, of strings for the past 50 years. And so it's a very personal thing. Again, uh, looking forward to seeing some of the comments after this uh, podcast is up um, about you know how people feel about this sort of thing. Now, within no matter what brand it is, there's a, there's a couple of uh, major types, varieties of strings. And so maybe you can give us a brief overview of the of that. You know, within all those brands, they all tend to offer their version of certain uh, alloys, you know, uh, metal alloys and, and that sort of thing. So you want to take up that banner? Yeah, I think it comes down to, do you want to play 8020s or Phosphor Bronze? And this conversation could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I bet you we still would never really completely understand what I'm saying, what Spoon's saying, because I could tell you, I can go to a gig next Thursday and start chatting with my bandmates and we can talk about the strings that are the brightest and we'll both name the opposite thing. Tim has 8020s on his Martin, I have Phosphor Bronze on mine, and we both love the way we sound when we play our guitars. When I pick up his guitar, I hate 8020s when I'm playing them. <laughs> and nothing's changed but the player. So 8020 and Phosphor Bronze are the big two. Before I dive deeper into that fact, would you say I'm correct in saying that? Before we go any farther, we should point out what those terms actually mean. Uh, phosphor bronze is referring to the alloy, a copper alloy that is used in the wrappings of the wound strings. And it consists of 92% copper and 8% tin. Bronze is an alloy made of tin and copper. And like true bronze has a lot more tin in it. But um, phosphor bronze, so it's 92% copper, 8% tin. The tin usually has some small percentage of phosphorus in it. So that's where they got the word phosphor bronze from. And they are, they, I think phosphorus, you know, you think of phosphorescent. And in my ear, phosphor bronze has a lot of bright shimmeriness to it when they're brand new. So I think it's an apt name. And 8020s, on the other hand, are made with 80% copper and 20% zinc. So it is uh, not a brass uh, or not a bronze, uh, actually, in the sense that there's no tin. It's using zinc instead of tin. And um, that gives a, a different kind of sound. And to my ear, a lot of people say that um, 8020s are, are brighter than phosphor bronze. And I, you have to be careful with those kind of words because words like bright uh, mean something different to everybody, just like cool and warm mean something different to everybody. And I would agree that phosphor bronze strings are quite vibrant and, and 8020 strings are quite bright when they're brand new. But I think that 8020s, they mellow faster. So that's one of the reasons uh, when I talk about waiting a week or so, th that initial real brightness of uh, 8020s does fade away fairly quickly. Phosphor bronze, to my ear, gets a lot of extra pizzazz. And I think phosphor bronze is a wonderful choice for inexpensive guitars, guitars that don't have a lot of their own character. And so, you know, that $100, $150 guitar from Sears sort of thing will be improved dramatically with the use of phosphor bronze strings uh, for that extra 
vibrancy and shimmer that it adds to the sound of a guitar. 8020s don't, they don't seem to have that same effect. And um, so I know people who put phosphor bronze on mahogany and put 8020s on rosewood and other people have other, you know, ways to go about that sort of thing. And I think uh, a lot of great guitars don't necessarily need the extra help of phosphor bronze. And uh, so that's um, sometimes a, another reason to go for 8020s. And so most of the acoustic guitar world, you're buying 8020s for phosphor, uh, phosphor bronze. And of course, in different gauges, which is, you know, increases the string tension. And so there's different reasons to uh, go with that. But uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Mari. So that's phosphor bronze and that's 8020. So going back to popularity, what do you feel is the most popular? And, and going back to your uh, previous statement of uh, some guitars just seem to sound right somehow with one uh, version of string or the other. Yeah, I think we sell more phosphor bronze, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's not uncommon, like you said, for some people to really play a phosphor bronze string on their mahogany guitar and an 8020 on their rosewood guitar or vice versa. And it's almost not even important if I'm saying that backwards. The point we're making is some players really do hear that certain strings treat their tone wood a certain way. And if you would get somebody who always puts phosphor bronze on their mahogany guitar and ask them to switch to 8020, they probably don't like it. And I think regardless of what you're believing, what you're hearing us say, and if you're taking it with a grain of salt versus you're going to take these notes down and really go and try to shop this way, I think the message we're trying to get across, or at least I'll speak for myself, it's different. So if you think you don't know what the sound of 8020s sound like because you've always been a phosphor bronze player, try 8020s, try them for longer than a week. You might find that you love the way they sound at the beginning and then you don't like them. You might find the exact opposite, but I almost guarantee anybody listening to this, regardless of skill level, regardless of what guitar you're putting them on, you will hear that the sound of your instrument, both the fundamentals and the harmonics and overtones, that stuff does change when you go from 80-20 to phosphor bronze or back and forth. And as I say that, I want to give myself the invisible hypocrite trophy, if, if Spoon can see this <laughs> through, the, through the podcast, because as I'm learning this as I'm actually speaking, and sometimes that happens in life. I don't like 80-20s when I put them on my guitar every year or so to see if I'm wrong. I rip them off. I don't remember giving myself seven to 14 days to see do i do i hate them after the initial couple of days do i do i maybe i'd grow into it at least i'm big enough to try to change to them but i never give them the chance and i'm one of those people over time i've i kind of like bright strings more than i used to i used to do some r d testing with uh with martin uh on occasion i wasn't anything uh, that they always went to. But I, you know, from time to time, I would try some new strings. And I remember back then, this is more than 10 years ago, people like, you know, Tim Teal or Bert Germick would say, you know, what do you think? And I said, ah, they're a little bit too bright. And I don't remember what Tim's opinion was. Bert would always laugh, like, you're the only one that ever says that. Like, most of the people they work with in beta testing and trying some new strings, I got the impression brighter is better. And I want to throw that question back to you, Spoon, before we change gears. Would you suspect that most people think brighter is better because it's a shelf life thing and they just want to get ahead of the game so that the strings sound good longer? Or do you think many players love the way that they sound uh, aggressively bright at the beginning? I, I kind of wonder. 
I, I again, it's I think it's a, f a far too personal a choice, and the fact that you would use the word hate, uh, even if that's uh, hyperbole, um, <laughs> is uh, but in a way it's not because that shows how much it, this matters to certain people. I'm not sure if anybody out there actually remembers a short piece that I had in Acoustic Guitar Magazine in the previous century about Neil Young's guitars and amplification. And uh, in there, Larry Craig is, is quoted, Larry Craig being famously Neil Young's guitar tech guy going back, way back forever, and, uh, and occasionally appears on stage uh, with an instrument in his hand or a broom. Uh, and when it came to Harvest Moon, <laughs> he would do a brush, brush a broom for the that rhythm sound. But anyway, <laughs> he's quoted as saying, you know, as if it's carved on Matt Ararat in stone, that you should only use 8020s and only and brand new strings. And there's, uh, which I could only imagine what I remember, you know, when I remember that thinking, knowing there were certain people that were just going to cringe at the very idea of the sound <laughs> of brand new strings. Um, but then again, you, uh, it's interesting that you talk about uh, bright strings. You play a very dark, warm, almost like, you know, coffee rich sounding OM28V. And so that's exactly the kind of guitar that other people might think, well, that don't you want bright strings to compensate for that? And maybe the answer is no. Maybe the lushness, uh, you, you like lushness and you like lush harmonics and you like uh, lush rich uh, low mids and all that maybe a maybe to your ear phosphor bronze helps accentuate that with its with its added complexity so again we we're you know you talk about minefields this is all very personal stuff and that's not the only alloys you'll definitely see mostly in the boutique guitars you will find um you will find other alloy compositions and other they're not just they're not just those two they're not just 8020 with zinc and, and 92.8 and in fact i'm afraid i don't remember right now but martin makes a string called clapton's choice that they you know that's eric clapton's signature string and it actually doesn't have it's got a slightly different alloy composition but i can't remember off the top of my head what it is so um, maybe it's like 92.8, but with something else added to it. I, I honestly don't remember now, and I wish I did. But for people who like to investigate this stuff and want to tweak their sound or their guitar and, or, or are simply not happy with their strings on a particular guitar, uh, there's definitely choices out there. And so I'm going to also bring up the uh, right now might be a good time because we talked about 820s, we talked about phosphor bronze. One thing that Martin offers is Monel strings, they call under the retro brand. Monel is an actual, it's actually a, a, a process. And these are strings that I have are made with nickel. And they were originally developed in the early 70s, I think, specifically to work with magnetic pickups. For those of you who play with magnetic sound hole pickups, or some of the old uh, attempts to early amplification through uh, for acoustic guitars with magnetic with magnets can remember how the B string or other strings would have a uh, would have wolf notes would just be would just hit that electric field and just be much louder than the other strings and things like that and some people would use nickel strings they would use a nickel B string so other people would use a different kind of bridge pin for the B string and 
things like that. And uh, Monell strings were developed to help tame that uh, magnetic field issue. And, but it was an expensive process. And some people just simply liked the sound of it. And then they brought it back because the Monell process became more affordable. And so uh, Martin and other brands uh, came out with Monell strings. So the retro strings are, um, they look different. They're like a silvery gray and they, uh, they sound different. They sound differently and from 8020s or phosphor bronze. And some people just like Maury can hate the sound <laughs> of bright, stark 8020s. Some people really, really like the sound of the Monel retro strings. And some people don't like the sound of a Monel. I know people who like them and I, I will say my own preference. I've gone through periods when, I, well, when I've played them. I much prefer them on mahogany than on rosewood. They don't have the, uh, the vibrancy and brightness of, of the other two kinds of strings. Um, other people say they sound like strings that have already broken in. So brand new, they sound um, like older strings for people who actually like that sound, that don't want that bright brashness that what is to their ear bright and brash. And some people like them because they maintain that tone that what is their new tone, they maintain it longer. This is what other people have told me about why they like uh, the retro strings. And this brings us back to Lawrence Schuber. Uh, Lawrence, I'd have no idea. I know he had various string endorsements with various companies over the years. Before he had his Martin endorsement, he changed his strings at every show. And not just every show, he would change them every day when he was at, uh, when he was the guest artist at Martin Fest in year five and year 10 and year 15 and year 20. He used to change his strings every day because he was doing a workshop if he wasn't performing and that sort of thing. Then he got his Martin deal, and Martin, um, I don't know if this, if Martin forced them on the, forced him onto this or not originally, but his signature set is uh, uh, retro strings. And so he no longer feels the need to change them every day. And he plays a very lush uh, guitar in, uh, in modern times. He's been playing his custom OM21. Now he's moved on to a, a mahogany, it's basically an OM18 with a Swiss top, but his but he was playing them on his uh, darker rosewood sounding guitar. And then so are the, what are the, some of the other signature strings? There's other celebrity strings in Martin that are also retros. So and the thing about the Juber the Juber strings, we talked briefly about gauges. Lawrence plays what I would have called a mixed set, which I played for years. I would buy a set of light strings and a set of medium strings, and I would use mediums on the unwound strings, the E and the B, and on the lowest bass string. And then the A, G, and A, D, and G string are light gauge strings. And the Jubers sets when they were at GHS and other brands and now at Martin, that's what they are. There is a 56 and a 13 and a, what would that be on, is it a 16 on a medium gauge string for the B string? And then the A, D, and G are the equivalent of light gauge strings. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is he is often playing in Dadgad and Celtic C tuning and other alternate tunings. And it allows you to tune down the unwound strings in that bass E down to D or C without losing too much tension. Um, conversely, when you're in standard tuning, you don't have the full tension of a medium gauge string. 
And so you don't put, you're not putting that much tension on the bridge and, and the headstock and the strings are not as taut in general when you're playing in, in standard tuning. So, um, but so it's, you know, that's, Juber's always done that. That's kind of what a Juber set was. And so I, I changed to GHS for a while uh, when I learned that. And also um, Newtone, I think is the name of the string that's made in England, the Midlands in England. Uh, yeah. That's a little boutique string company. They had a, a set as well. I think their, what they called true medium set was that same idea, really designed for Dadgad, of course, because of the, you know, Celtic music playing over there. But anyway, that's a long tangent about the Monell strings. That's something people may want to uh, look into if they're looking for something new. And I'd recommend them if you play maple, color, or mahogany. Myself, I know other people who play them on rosewood strings. I mean, on rosewood guitars, Juber obviously being one of them. But um, Rosewood strings would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, there'd be somebody out there who would buy them to try them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, me. <laughs> just like, just like I know, Martin has made custom Martin, at least one custom Martin with a Brazilian rosewood top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could just imagine this was back before Brazilian rosewood was a, a zillion trillion dollars. But I, I just can't imagine. You know, there was that old Saturday Night Live uh, fake sh uh, show called "What Were You Thinking." <laughs> It's like we had Shelley Long, you know, that wasn't really Shelley Long, but like here we have Shelley Long, star of Cheers, who left Cheers at the height of its popularity to start uh, uh, her own solo career. Uh, Miss Long, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I have to go look that up after this now. <laughs> yeah. Walter Mondale, uh, Senator Mondale, you ran for president on the platform of raising taxes. Uh, what were you thinking? Um, <laughs> And sir, you uh, you ordered a, a D45, a Brazilian rosewood D45 with a D45 uh, with a top made of Brazilian rosewood. What, what were, were you, you thinking? thinking? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and not, not to uh, not to put a pin in the comedy, but if you're trying to play like Lawrence Juber and you can't, it might be the fact that you're not playing a mixed set of strings. So keep that in mind too. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Lawrence, uh, I was hanging out with him after a show at the Iridium and, uh, in New York City, and poor fella said, uh, told Lawrence that, you know, you make me want to burn my guitars, uh, which is the last thing he wanted to say to somebody like Lawrence Juber. And he, uh, you know, he doesn't want to hear that he's causing people to do that. But he said, well, how long, do you, how often do you play? And the guy said, you know, he tries to practice a couple hours a week or whatever. And Lawrence said basically something like, well, I played eight hours a day for 10 years and, you know, and uh, through music school and beyond to, you know, so why would you uh, compare your, what you do with what I do? But Mar, Mar is actually right. It's really the strings. So go ahead and get yourself a <laughs> set of Lawrence Juber strings and a big jar of ibuprofen um, <laughs> and play for 10 hours a day. And then maybe you can play like Lawrence. That's funny. It reminds me of the time I saw Mark Goldenberg and Eric Skye at a NAMM show. Maybe this is my, maybe 10 years ago now. And I'm just watching them from the front row with my jaw on the floor. And I finally got to say hello to them after their set. I said, you guys, I, I can't believe how good you are. If I could play like you, I would play all day. And they just laughed. And Mark said, we do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and all in, in those two words, I'm like, oh, yeah, you you know, that's why, and that's why you sound like that. And there goes the circle. But yeah, if you're going to, you know, go see Lawrence Juber and, 
and he inspires you to quit because your two hours a week doesn't equal what he does, you know, there's a little bit of a tangent there, but you, you really have to appreciate the hard work that goes into everything. We appreciate the hard work that goes into making this podcast. And I know getting together with Spoon every Saturday is so much fun for me. I want to wheel things back onto the tracks because I'm going to, you know, just get caught up in telling Nam stories and, and uh, SNL jokes. And that'd be okay, too. But Yeah, well, you know. allow me because you just brought up something really important when we've been talking or we both kind of did um, when it comes to uh, playing uh, a lot or as, lot, as much as you can. Is there and the big jar of Advil? There is a a comfort thing involved in this too, because because strings come in a lot of different gauges, and coming up, I played tens, I played uh, ultra lights on a short scale guitar, and um, and I know, you know, that some people who like playing electric guitars tend to want to play lighter gauge strings, and they put the light the ultra lights on the new SC models. At the other side of this, there are people who say, well, you can't have a dreadnought with light strings. It has to be medium strings. And for the most part, Martin ships dreadnoughts with medium strings and sh uh, ships the smaller body guitars with light gauge strings. What gauge do you play, Maury, typically? Well, I, I, I thought that comment was going to come a lot earlier, so thanks for bringing it up. Uh, I play 12s. Every once in a great while, I'll put 13s on my OM28V, and I, I like them, but not enough to put up with the extra tension and, and they just they just hurt more over the past maybe 10 years i've played 10s on my electric guitars and 12s on my acoustic guitars but it brings up a really good point all those conversations that come up whether it's on facebook groups or on the forums or of course if someone calls and speaks to us if you're worried that you need to put 13s on a dread and that you need to play 12s on a smaller body guitar and there's some kind of stigma that goes along with that I definitely hear a difference between lights and mediums, but I'll tell you what I tell everybody who asks me. If you would play the guitar longer and more comfortably with a lighter set of strings, don't think for a moment that you got to go heavier than you want to. If you put 13s on a dreadnought and it sounds a little bit better to you and you play that guitar a lot less or you play that guitar and it hurts, what's the point there? I, I really am a firm believer if you found a gauge that's comfortable and it means you can play the guitar longer and more often, that's the one you need to use. You might need a little bit of a setup if your guitar came set up for the other gauge, but I'm a, a huge proponent in recommending to people play what's comfortable to you. You're not making anybody happier if you're following some kind of trend or perceived trend and it means you're not playing the guitar as much. Absolutely. And uh, just again, for people who may not uh, be that familiar with what we're talking about, when Mar uh, Mari says 12s in Martin strings, that's light gauge strings. That's the a 0.12 is the diameter of the unwound E string. And those goes up to a 0 0.54, 54 on the uh, low wound E string. Uh, medium gauge is a 13 to 56. The next one down there is 11s. Um, they do have a half gauge string that they make that are 12 and a halfs that they only offer in, um, that Dick Boak came up with. They only offer those in, in uh, phosphor bronze these days. They are silken string steel strings, which we will talk about in just a second. I think are 11.5s and they only make them in that gauge. Ultralights, I think are, are 10s, 1.10s. I'm not sure they go down below that now. But other brands, sometimes their light gauge string is actually an 11 and their medium gauge string is actually a 12. So you want, and they'll have something else called true medium, maybe that's a 13. So depending on your brands, 
um, light, medium, and, and those kind of uh, monikers don't always mean the same thing. So you want to make sure you're looking at the gauges when you're comparing uh, one string band to the other. As you pointed out about setup, uh, medium, if you're dealing with a full medium gauge string, I believe it actually raises the action a little bit. And certainly when you're playing it, it feels that way because it takes more strength to, uh, to depress them the same way or to bend them the same way you would a light gauge string. One of the nice things about lights 12s on a short scale neck is that you can actually get a full, a full step bend out of them, out of the unwound strings when you're playing lead guitar stuff. Though a lot of people will want to go down to 11s or even 10s. That's why I played 10s all the, in those days. Even though I was playing an acoustic guitar, I was basically playing in a, in a rock band and was doing the lead guitar stuff. And, and that was kind of our gimmick was people would think they're getting Peter, Paul, and Mary with the electric guitars. But I was going through distortion, overdrive, chorus, flange, that whole thing. And, you know, and doing Bohemian Rhapsody and, and Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> More as a sweet child of mine was more of a as a gag song, but um, but yeah, playing the leads that Brian May leads on a, on a, a small body Asian acoustic guitar, but um, <laughs> but so I used tens for years, and and then I went up to mediums strings, but I actually, I'm to me it's much more about enjoyment now, and I think mediums sound better, they sound fuller. You'll notice an immediate uh, increase or decrease if you're going down to lights. Uh, in the bass from from those strings, but every time we change something about our guitar, we first notice what's different about it. Most of us instinctually say different is bad, but then give it a little while and let your ears adjust. And I think you know, I play light strings on my dreadnoughts again for comfort. Uh, it's about it's about comfort and and long longer playing now for me. Blasphemer and. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. It's exactly <laughs> right. You'll notice we're talking about lights and mediums. Uh, you used to be able to get heavy gauge strings. You're probably still out there. I know David Lindley, I think, played a 0 .70 uh, bottom bass string on his <laughs> Weisenborns. You know, that was especially made for him because people stopped making strings that heavy. And that's why Martin used to have a stamp on their on the, the strip on the inside of the guitar. Uh, they actually had a, a branded stamp that, you know, said medium or light gauge only. It would void the warranty if you used heavy strings on your Martin guitar. And I believe they're now coming back. There are people out there, uh, artisanal string builders out there who are making heavy gauge strings for people who want them. So, um, there, you know, it takes all kinds, especially when it comes to strings. I thought you were going to say it takes a clear mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if that's true, we wouldn't get very far with this podcast, would we? Um, <laughs> well, it's not true because we are very far in this podcast, and it's almost time to hear about the big answer to the trivia question. Uh, but before that, there's something we haven't brought up and we really should mention. And that's something, again, a very polarizing topic in the world of strings, and that is treated strings. Or they used to call them coded strings, but... Ooh, ah, but coded became a very bad word. So, and a lot of people know about this, but the certainly the brand that led the way in popularity of these strings was in fact Elixir. And Amores Music happens to be an Elixir dealer. So could you talk to us a little bit about Elixir strings, what they are, why they are, and their popularity? 
Absolutely. And since this program is called Martins and more, we can talk about more than Martins. We'll talk about Elixir Strings. And this wheels back to my comment earlier in the program about guys like Tim Perry, my bandmate who just has very corrosive acidic chemistry. The fact that the strings begin to die has everything to do with are they are they coated or are they not? And when you put a coating or a treatment on a string, like Elixirs did when they first came out, you're slowing down the process. Whatever happens when a guitar is brand new and its lifespan to go from the brand new sound and begin dying and decaying, coating the string or treating the string can certainly act like putting a coat on it. It's going to last longer. And Elixir first came out with something called Polyweb way back when Elixir first started. That was the only Elixir you could buy. I'll point out right there that Polyweb, it's a, it's a web of, of a polymer of some kind. So it is a polymer material that is on the outside of the strings that's protecting the metal from the elements and from, as Mari just mentioned, the corrosive aspects of the you know, human, human contact. Good point. And, and, I, and I think that's worth mentioning because not all strings are coated in that exact way. The way that a polyweb coating happens, the string is constructed and after it's done, the complete string has been coated with that web of poly. And I don't remember the science behind nanowebs, but maybe Spoon can correct me. There are some manufacturers, whether it's Elixir or someone different, who took a different approach and actually coated the winding before it went into production around the core of the string. So the point I'm trying to make is not all coated strings, not all treated strings are the same. And boy, the fact that I'm throwing around the word treated and coated is bad too, because you can actually look at something like the Martin Lifespan strings that came out maybe more than a decade ago, and they were treated, not coated. And if you, if you don't think that's a big deal, uh, naming something the, the correct way. All you had to do was play a set of elixirs and a set of Martin lifespans, and you definitely recognize the difference that Martin spray treated their string versus elixir coated theirs with a web. And I don't want to do this on the microphone, but this is what a polyweb sounded like versus uh, a treated Martin string. And that, that's going a little bit extreme. But the point I'm trying to make is not all coated treated strings are, are built the same way or sound the same or last the same. Well, yes, and you had talked about how elixirs evolved and um, polyweb. Uh, the other thing is not just about the corrosion stuff; it reduces string noise. So you know that whick whick, um, that scrapey scrapey sound. Uh, some people don't like the sound of that. Some people like it a lot. I'm I'm kind of like a little bit of it. Can I do that for you? Yeah, sure. There we go. Thank you. Um, but polywebs uh, have the thickest coating. Um, and a, a, a warmer, rounder tone if to look at it from the positive side of things. And a very slick, fast, very whoop, 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 but then you don't hear the whoop, 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 whoop. So, you know, we're talking like, you know, doing the curly shuffle on, a, on ice. And, um, <laughs> and, <so>. it's, uh, <laughs> and then, the, then the nano webs is less coating. You feel the strings more, it's, but they're still very smooth, almost silent string in terms of string noise and a little brighter and now they have something called optoweb that's the least amount of coating but then we get over to the to jump over to the martin strings martin started out martin's treated strings have changed a lot over the years so they started out is anybody out there old enough to remember seeing um ovation guitars back when they were revolutionary the first like acoustic electric guitar that 
that didn't provide a lot of feedback and you could plug in and you didn't need a magnet sound hole pickup and you'd see them in stores and you'd see them with these coated or treated strings on them and the strings would be in tatters as the coating had come off and would literally peel off and hang off of it in shreds. And you'd see them in guitar stores after a zillion people played them. And those, the people who make those kind of treated strings, regardless of the brands, got better and better at it. And the modern uh, Lifespan 2.0 strings at Martin are, I believe, sonically a major improvement. You still have less string noise, you still, you have, you, but you have, you know, they're more like the, the OptiWebs of, of Elixir. There's still some string noise. You feel the strings. They don't feel like, like rubber strings. And there is a less, less of an effect to the tone. When I hear treated strings right next to the exact string, string that's not treated, it's noticeable to me that they don't have the same detail. There's definitely, it definitely removes something and it rounds off the sound. But I know people who really like that. But, but they really like whether you're playing Lifespan 2.0s, um, which, as I understand it, before they create the string, the woundings are treated, that copper alloy is treated before it's wound. It's not just a whole string that's dipped like a, like a polyweb dip. I'm pretty sure they treat the, the material before they make the string, and that's supposed to... Um, that's one of the reasons you hear the string a little more and feel the string a little more because it's each little tiny ridge has been treated. It's not like the whole string has just been, you know, covered in cake icing like they used to do in the old days. Regardless of what your choice of treated strings, the reason the people really like them is because they, the tone may, is maintained longer. And Martin uh, puts the treated strings on their new guitars that go into shops that get played by a lot of teenagers just to try to keep those strings from dying immediately. So I always say to people, if you're getting a brand new Martin shipped to you with the strings that they ship it in, you can enjoy those strings, but I recommend changing to your favorite string as soon as possible to get a, an understanding of how that guitar is really gonna sound because treated strings just do not sound the same as non-treated strings. But there's an awful lot of professionals out there that uh, absolutely rely on Elixirs or Martin Lifespan 2.0s because um, they want to go as long as possible uh, without having to worry about their tone changing. And um, I like the changing tone. I like the fact that the lifespan of a string actually has an has a uh, a ramp to it. Can't call it an arc so much as a ramp. And I like the fact that strings mellow and that the that guitar changes its sound as the strings break in and then start to die off. Which may bring us finally to today's tri trivia question answer of what is my preferred string? I play Martin's authentic acoustic marquee silked 8020s in the light gauge. You are correct. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Were you nervous uh, that you might not get that right? Yes, indeed. Uh, these strings have gone through different name changes over the years. Uh, I started playing Martin Marquis strings uh, long, long ago. 
a Martin Marquis strings are exactly the same as their normal string, but down at the ball end of the string is very, very small silk thread that has about a half an inch um, winding right by the ball. And these were designed to protect bridge plates on guitars, particularly vintage guitars, where you put that ball end and you put that peg in and you pull that string up and that string is constantly pressing and pulling and digging in to that thin maple bridge plate or rosebud bridge plate, depending on what kind of guitar you have. And the, that silk was supposed to protect the bridge plate, keep, keep it from uh, being ground down and, and having uh, big grooves cut in it over the years. However, I liked how they sounded and I started comparing them with other strings. And even though a lot of people you know, would disagree with this, I believe those silk windings changes the sound of the string. I prefer 80-20s. I said, I, you know, I sort of alluded to this earlier. I think that phosphor browns are really good for cheaper guitars that need help. And I think they add this, this uh, vibrant string sound that I know that some people absolutely love. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's adding something to the guitar, uh, guitar's tone, where I prefer to hear the guitar's tone without that added. And so I use 8020s. I like how they mellow faster and I, they'll get that sweet spot. I'll get a good week of them if I'm playing a lot where, where I really like them. And it's about a week to 10 days in if I'm playing every day, like getting ready for gigs and playing gigs. So at about day 10 to about day 20 uh, is where I think they sound their best. If I was uh, recording, I would typically play until I heard that sound, and then that, that's when I would do my recording. Um, but I think those silk windings actually change the sound. I think they take off a little bit of that initial 80-20, kind of like turn your head and blink a little bit glare, uh, brightness to them, um, brand new. And I think they sound particularly good on rosewood guitars. I'm in agreement, dark rosewood guitars, I think sound good with 80-20s. I should point out to our listeners that the opinion of Spoon Phillips is entirely his alone and should not be confused with the opinion of Mario Rich, who hates 8020s on Rosewood guitars. <laughs> um, and uh, I went through lots of strings. I've tried all kinds of strings. I was into new tones for a while. I was into GHS for a while. I was into DH for a while. I, uh, John Pierce, a very respected brand. If you like Phosphor Bronze Vibrancy, and you play like that bluegrass sound and you want your phosphor bronze vibrancy for that serious nuanced, uh, you know, blazing fast finger picky or fat or flat picky bluegrass stuff. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are absolute disciples of the John Pierce sound. So they, that's something you might want to look into. And but, you know, I keep coming back to Martin Marquis. Now there's part of the authentic acoustic line. They're absolutely identical to the normal authentic acoustic Martin guitar, except for those silk windings, exact same alloys. But um, I do think they sound different. I like them best of all. And um, I play lights now, but I used to play me uh, the mix set with the mediums mixed in with the lights. And I say, if you've never played them, I'd say try them out, give them a good two weeks um, playing and, and see if you agree with me or if you agree with the dark side of Mari's music. Well, that's pretty sinister, but I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I think of that, the way you're always teasing people about mahogany and, you know, and how rosewood's so superior. And you've got a great rosewood guitar. I love that lush Indian rosewood, Sitka spruce, Martin guitar, scallop bracing. It's a marvelous sound. And if you, you know, I think phosphor bronze increase the uh, lushness of it and 8020s um, for me allow the, the, the sound of the wood guitar to come out and take center stage. That's the way I, my ears hear it. All right. Well, I guess you're right. I, I appreciate the kind words and, and I'm, I'm thrilled that anybody but me likes my guitar because I, it certainly is one of my favorite things in life. And if you're listening to this podcast and you got some value out of it, please know that we really appreciate your support and your input. If you do have a moment, please let us know in the comment section on YouTube what your favorite strings are. And I'm going to challenge you guys today. I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to play one more gig with my OM28V next week. And after that, I'm going to put 8020s on my guitar and give them a full 30 days to see what they're like. Because I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm an open mind today. I, listening to Spoon, I'm inspired to recognize, I don't think I gave the 8020s as much of a fair fight as I should have. If I do spend a month playing them and I still hate them, I will never play them again. But I'm going to do that. <laughs> but what you have to do for me, and I'm talking to every listener out there, please consider changing your strings after 30 days even if you've never thought that was smart i don't care where you buy them but if you're one of those players that would never consider changing strings after four weeks try it once and then report back and let us know what you think was it wasteful was it didn't make a difference but i kind of liked it or did we change your life because i i wouldn't be surprised if some people who completely believe in the top wood of a guitar makes all the difference, the back and sides makes all the difference, but strings don't make a difference. I'd be thrilled to know that we at least brought the point home and reached one of you guys to recognize that strings do make a difference. Even if it isn't a good difference, it's a difference. And I would like to point out that the opinion of Maury's music is exactly that. <laughs> and that Maury, when he's talking about changing his strings, he's going to be changing them to the Martin MA140S, 140S, light gauge, Martin Marquis, silk, 8020. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> You're too much. From all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at moreysmusic.com. <laughs>